in chapter 11. So if you're reading along with us, you can read chapter 11 this week. If you haven't picked up one of the books, you can get one back there in the back. And just want to encourage you to move along with us. This book has 30 chapters, and it's broken into three sections. And in those sections, we, we talk about um, uh, what we believe, how we think about those things, how we act on those things, and who we're becoming, how God is working through us through his word. And so we're walking through those things today. And so we're continuing that starting back this, this morning. Uh, as I like to do, I want to kind of uh, give you a, a simple illustration and a, a quick joke. Um, and I do think it's a joke. You may not find it appropriate, which is not uncommon for some of the things that I say. Uh, but there was a young girl, and she was a sweet little girl. And unfortunately, she was diagnosed with cancer. And as her hair began to fall out, she got up one morning and looked in the mirror, and she saw that she had three strands of hair. And when she looked in the mirror, she says, you know what? Today, I will braid my hair. And she did, and she went on, and she had a great day. And the next morning, she got up, and she looked into the mirror, and she had two strands of hair. And she says, well, today, I'm going to part my hair. And she did, and she had a great day. Well, the next morning, she got up, and she saw she had one strand of hair. And she goes, oh, today, I'm wearing a ponytail. And she did, and she went on, and she had a great day. And the next morning, she got up, and she had no hair left. And she says, thank God, I don't have to worry about how to fix my hair. It's interesting the things that we celebrate. It's interesting the things that, that we look at. It's interesting the outlook that we take when things come in our lives. I think every one of us could identify with watching someone like this little girl or a friend or a family member go through something difficult and challenging and wonder how do they do so with joy? How do they do so with the right heart? How do they put on that right attitude when if anybody had the right to have a bad attitude that day? It would be a beautiful little girl who was losing her hair. But yet we admire that. We find joy in their strength. We're encouraged by how they embrace life each and every day. My mother being a two-time cancer survivor, watching her, listening to her stories, it reminds me of all the little things I complain about that have absolutely no value whatsoever to see her strong. And to be in remission and to see how she lives her life now and the choices that she makes and how she encourages others. The, the, this woman sold her home to move closer to the cancer center that she had gone to every week for 56 weeks so she could volunteer after she got in remission. That encourages me. That inspires me. It helps me forget about all the mean things she did to me when I was a child. I think we all find strength in the, the strength of others. We all find strength when others encourage us. And this morning, as we talk about strength and where we draw that strength from, a whole lot of that strength, I think, comes from our worship. It comes from how we worship God. And, and, and as we think about that, the key ideal that I want to try to communicate to you this morning is simply this, that, that worship is about who God is and what he's done for me. It's not a request. It's a response. It's when we worship the one true God, regardless of our circumstances, it doesn't matter what's going on, that, that when we see God, we respond to him for who he is in his character, in his grace, in his love, in his mercy, in his goodness, in his kindness, in his consistency, in his character. We worship him for who he is and what he has done for us. And, and what I mean by what he's done for us is not when he answers our prayers, when we want something we probably don't need or deserve, or not when he's just in our favor, but what he does consistently for us by providing us life, forgiving us everything that we have, by surrounding us with the people that are in our lives, with opportunities to be strong and to be ministered to and to be ministers to others. 
That's what it means to worship God. And so many times I think we, we, we relegate worship down to something that, that looks like Sunday morning with a couple of songs. And we may raise our hands from time to time. And on occasion we may, we may, we may pray with tears. And all those things are great responses to God. But they can also just stop at emotions if we're not careful. Because I think we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and all, our, all of our strength. And, and, and what that means is that, that we let something emotionally charge us up and engage our brains that God gave us to put our hands to action so that the whole of us responds to a holy God. And that's worship. The whole of us responds to a holy God for who he is and what he's done for us. Unfortunately, we're people. And we don't always see things that way. And we are common as the people were back in Isaiah's day. And Isaiah was having a good conversation with God. And God was looking at this rote memorization, this, this rote habit of worship, this, this rote sacrificial system. I sin, I get an animal, I shed its blood, I say I'm sorry, and I sin again. I get an animal, I shed its blood, I say I'm sorry, and then I sin again. And we kind of do something similar in our own life sometimes. I go out, I live my life, I do my things, I go to Sunday, I raise my hands on one of the three songs because I don't like the other two or the worship's too upbeat or whatever the case may be, whatever that case may be. And I feel good about this, I say hello to some nice people, I go on about my life, I get back into the routines and the ruts and I forget about God a little bit and I come back, oh it's Sunday morning, I need to be here again and we're going to raise our hands on one of the songs and maybe cry a little bit and go back into it. Does anybody else kind of feel that rut? We have a great churchy word phrase for that, it's called going through the motions. And we all do that because we are human and we get stuck in that. And I think one of the primary reasons we do that is because we don't really make God the object of our worship. We're asking, we're requesting of him instead of responding to who he is and what he's done for us. For his goodness, for his grace, for his consistent character. And it is a habit, it is a discipline, it is what we have to train ourselves to do like an athlete would. If they want to win, they have to work hard at that, if we want to be in a consistent place of worship. But it's also a personal thing, and I'll tell you clearly that if we're not responding to God for who he is and what he's done for us in our personal lives, taking some time each and every day to reflect on him, to learn more about his character through his word, when we get into a public setting, then the worship will probably be kind of, eh, it's not magical. It's habitual. It is a habit of the heart. It's a good habit to be in. As Isaiah and was having a conversation with God, God told him he was tired of, of the consistent routine, the motions they were going through. And he writes this in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. God says this, and these are strong words, words that we may not think of God wanting to say or having said, but he says, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Wow, that's terrible, isn't it? I mean, we've all smelled incense, and they stink. But when God says that, it says that it is, it is bad for him, his wholeness. It's detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. You ever feel like that on Sunday morning? Here we go again. Time to make the donuts. Pastor's going to get up, make us feel bad, talk bad about us, tell what awful people we are, the whole works. Then that joker's going to ask for money at the end of it. Y'all ever feel that way? I do. I have. I walk out of here some Sundays going, man, I shouldn't have said that. Just think how God feels when he can't bear with our worthless assemblies. Verse 14, your new moon feast and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. And that's strong. 
They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. You ever have a nagging child? They just won't give up. They're just so consistent about asking over and over and over and over again, and you wish you could plug your ears. You ever look at your kids or see your kids go, ah, I'm not, I can't hear you, I'm not listening, la, 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 I can't hear you, la, la, la. Just imagine for a moment that when we bring to God a worthless offering, when we bring to him just the rote system of things because it's clean and it's efficient and it looks or feels good, but there's nothing that our heart is truly responding to who he is and what he's done for us. We're not worshiping him, we're annoying him. I mean, just consider that for a moment. Are you an annoyance to God? How can a holy, loving God look at me and be annoyed by me? I'm awesome. No, you're not. You're annoying. I don't think any of us want to be that way towards our God, do we? And so as we examine what worship really looks like and what it sounds like, I want to invite you this morning to not misunderstand what I just said about God not hearing our prayers, about him not listening to our words. What he's really saying is, I can't hear your heart. And I can't hear your heart over your own nonsense. And so what you may be wanting to say to me, you're not saying at all because your heart is not engaged in that. Your lips are moving, but I can't hear a word that you're saying. I don't want you to, to hear that God doesn't listen to us. What I want you to hear is to stop giving God pleasantries and thinking you just worship because you didn't. He desires all of us, everything that we have to give him. There's no better example of that than in the book of Daniel. And I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to look with me in Daniel chapter 6. We're going to look at one verse this morning for just a few moments. Daniel is a fascinating story of a man devoted to God, who loved God, and was going to do all that God had commanded him. And when he found himself in exile under Nebuchadnezzar, later Darius... He was forced to do a great many things he did not want to do. One of the first things he was told that he was going to do is he was going to eat the food of the king and he was going to live according to their customs. And he says, I will not defile myself before my God. I'm not going to do that. And he found favor in standing up and saying, I'm not going to do this. And he says, I'll make you a deal. Let me eat these vegetables and drink water for a month. And after that, you'll see that we are in good health and a best we look better than all the rest of them. And they agreed to that. And Daniel and all those who stayed on a kosher diet, who ate according to what God said he could eat, after that time was up, God blessed him because he had offered to God his devotion and his worship. And it caused others to see that, including those who were not of the Jewish faith. Later on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told that Nebuchadnezzar, when the horn blew and the great big statue was there, that when it blew, they were to bow and they were to get on their knees and worship this statue. And they said, we will not do that. And I believe they did that because Daniel had stood firm and said, I'm going to do what the Lord requires, not what Nebuchadnezzar requires. I'm going to stand at all costs, no matter what it takes. I'm going to do what God wants me to do because I'm going to respond to who God is and for what he has done to, for me. And when he did that, they threw three of them into the furnace, and they looked, and a fourth was down there. These men found strength in watching what Daniel had done. As you might imagine, the people who are watching Daniel are seeing this, this servant, this, this person who is an exiled slave, getting more and more popular for having stood up now to one king and now to another one. The satraps, as the scripture says, 
were the, the ruling party, and they were just a bunch of gossiping ninnies and hypocrites. And they passed a decree underneath the king's nose that said, everyone will stop praying to this one God in Israel. And Daniel said, I can't do that. I won't do that. And so we pick up in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, and Daniel says this. He says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Uh, just, just look at that for just a moment. Just soak in those words. In, in, in just a matter of, of one verse, we see that Daniel was willing, ready, able, capable, and going to respond to who God is and what God has done for him. And he was going to do it whether he was by himself, he was going to do it whether he was in a group, he was going to do it because it brought honor to his God because he loved God. I can't tell you that God was really doing much for Daniel, just to be perfectly honest. He is exiled away from his home, away from the temple where the Lord God dwelt amongst his people, and yet Daniel is saying, you have not changed even though my geography has. You have not changed even though my situation has. You have not changed your decrees even though these people that you allowed to exile us are telling us we cannot do this. The one true God has not changed. And so if he has not changed, his desire for my worship has not changed either. So I will continue to give him what he requires of me and what blesses him and pleases him. And I will worship him for who he is and what he has done for me. That's faithfulness. That's strength. That's an example that I think we all wish we had a Daniel in our life, that when our faith wavers, when we're not worshiping the way that we ought to or the way that we want to or we know that we should, we just kind of want to look to somebody to give us a little oomph, a little boost. And no matter where you are in your life, it's just sometimes good to have somebody kind of lead out on those things, isn't it? It's just good to have somebody kind of set the example. It's just good to kind of have that person who, against all odds, is going to do what is right. And in doing so, that will encourage me to do the same thing. Daniel had a great approach to worship, but I want to show you three things specifically just out of that one verse that I think Daniel had a great approach for worship that we could also adopt and look at. And the first thing that we see there is that Daniel went to the right place. Daniel went to the right place. Now, geographically, okay, he was... He was outside well outside of Jerusalem but he went up to his room and he opened the windows and he faced east towards Jerusalem and the right place for Daniel was a place where he could get alone and be quiet and just observe what he was doing with God and even then when he was able to go alone and to, and to pray someone was spying on him someone was looking through his window someone was looking to catch him doing something that he was not supposed to be doing but yet he did it anyway because there are some laws that we need to ignore there are some things that a government may place over us that stops us from worshiping the one true God that we absolutely have a fundamental right and responsibility to push against. It's not about winning. It's about honoring God. It's not about pushing against a government that is strong and wanting to oppress us. It's about showing God who he is and what he's done for us and thanking him for that and spending that time with him. And in our everyday world, in our lives, we've got a lot of things happening, a lot of hustle and bustle happening. And it's so good to do as Christ did, is that early in the morning, he got up and he went alone to a quiet place to spend time with the Father. Daniel did the same thing. Jesus did the same thing. We ought to do the same thing. 
We ought to be in the right place, and that right place is alone with the Father, spending time with him intentionally in prayer, not requesting all the stuff that we want, but worshiping him for who he is and what he has done for us. Daniel may not have liked the situation, but he was alive, and God was blessing him, and he had influence, and he still had the ability to pray, even though those around him thought it was illegal, and he did it anyway because he was in the right place geographically, but also he was in the right place with God. He was in the right place with him. I will serve my God. I will honor him. I'll do what I want to do. The second thing we see there is that he had the right posture, and I love that word posture because usually people sit up straight whenever we say that. But he had the right posture. His posture was not just physical because he would go to his room and he would kneel and he would face Jerusalem, the place where the temple was. And the temple was the place where the Lord God dwelt and that he wanted to be there. He would go in with the right posture and he would get on his knees three times a day and he would pray. He would spend time. Now, I don't know how many of you spend time on your knees, literally, physically in that posture, bowing before God acknowledging who he is and what he's done for you, but it is humbling. I don't know how many of you pray out loud. Sometimes it's really interesting to hear what you say that comes out of your mouth. To pray out loud, and look, if there's nobody else in the room, it's not weird because you're the only one who knows you're talking to yourself. But if you're not worshiping God and you're just spitting out these words, even he's not listening. That's why our hearts have to be in the right posture as well. That's why we need to bow before our God and acknowledge our sinfulness, but also his grace and his kindness to us. We have to acknowledge to him that we are not worthy to stand in his presence, but yet he has invited us into his presence. And because of the blood of his son, we absolutely are cleansed and able to stand in his presence. And he wants that from us. He wants to dwell with us. Daniel knew that he had the right posture. He knelt in prayer and his focus was on God, not on himself. In his prayers, Daniel didn't say, God, get us out of here. He said, God, you were gracious and you were merciful and you were kind and you were loving. He didn't talk about the situation because let's be honest, no matter what Daniel's situation was or what your situation is, God is not going to be surprised when you tell him how bad things are. One of these days, I think we're going to hear God respond back to us. You think that's bad. I had to send my own son down there to die for you. That's a bad day. Do you have the right posture of worship? Are you spending time with God intentionally alone? Are you in the right place, some place where you can get quiet and spend time with him? And do you have the right practices? And I think this is what we really see is beautiful with what Daniel did. It said that every day, three times a day, he faced Jerusalem and he gave thanks. That's what worship is. Thank you, God, for being who you are and for what you have done for me. It's not request, that's prayer. Big difference. Now they can work together, and they should, but when we're worshiping God, we're spending time with him, talking with him directly. There's a fourth thing that we see here from Daniel, and it's the right purpose. And as we look at the, 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 the Believe series and we move into this second section here, we're gonna talk more about what we think and how we act. But Daniel actually showed us the right purpose. And in the right purpose for Daniel, it was about worship. It was about he was not going to be denied the opportunity to go and worship his God. He was not going to be denied by anybody else to spend time talking to God about who he is and what he's done for him. And our worship, friends, when we're in the right place, in the right posture, in the right practices, when our hearts are in the right, in the, in the right realm, then we're, we're in the right purposes, 
we can look a whole lot like Daniel in our worship. Because when we truly worship God for who he is and what he's done for us, our worship is a living testimony to those inside the church and those outside of the church. If you've ever wondered why your home has windows on it, it's not just so you can look out, it's so the rest of the world can look in. Now, you may not be comfortable with that, but in its metaphor, I want you to understand that the families that we have, the people in our lives that we choose to spend time with, I believe God has put those people in our lives so that we might reflect a holiness of God in that relationship so that others outside of that relationship can look in and say, I want some of that right there. That's what a marriage is. That's what a family is. That's the way things ought to be. God didn't just put these things out there on accident. He wants our worship of him to be a living testimony to those inside the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. He wants us to be in such a place of worship, such a habit of worship, not in the rope sacrifice, spill the blood, say I'm sorry, sin again and do back. He doesn't want that. He wants us to be in a constant place of worshiping him for who he is and what he's done for us so that when we do that, particularly when we're in a tough place or in bad times, others can look and go, how are you walking through that right now? How do you do that? What is, where are you drawing such strength from? How many cups of coffee do you drink in a day? This is ridiculous. This past week, we lost my mother-in-law. I'm so grateful for my wife's faith through all of this. As the pastor, as the husband, as the the brother-in-law who has to pray at all the meals because of my job. There were so many days I just didn't have the right words, and I would look to see the strength of my wife mourning her mother, loving her family, and honoring her God. That ministers to me in more ways than I could ever possibly imagine. I draw strength from that. Church, as a body of believers, that's what we're here to do for one another and for those looking from the outside. And so this morning... I'm going to ask something very strange of you. I'm going to do something that I have always feared doing in a church, Baptist or any other. I'm going to open that microphone up, and I'm going to invite anybody who wants to come up to that microphone to share with us how they worship God for who he is and what he has done for you. And to help you out just a little bit, to be a Daniel this morning, we're going to put a couple of verses up on the board. Some places where if you just want to come read some great passages of Scripture that worship and honor the one true God, we need to, as a body of Christ, worship Him together. Psalm 95, 1 through 2 says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and with song. I'm going to invite you this morning. We're going to turn that microphone on. There's a Bible there, and we're going to put some verses up in just a minute. Maybe you have a favorite verse, or you just want to come give testimony of the goodness of the Lord. And if you get crazy and start doing all kinds of crazy stuff, we'll shut you down. But if not, we're going to celebrate and worship with you, okay? When we get to a place of even more awkward pause, I'll come up and close the service. But until then, the microphone is on.
was me, I would be in fetal position just crying every day. But I'm like, no, I have to trust in God. And it opens up an opportunity for me to share scripture with people who may not otherwise get to hear it at work. Um, my kids' friends, um, I, always my go-to is Jeremiah 29, 11. Like he's, he's got big plans for us. And as hard as it is going through this, I feel that God has a purpose and a plan in it. And I feel like that's our worship, our trust, um, us having the opportunity to be disciples through it. And like you said about your son, Preston, he's my hero. To see him go through it and to be an example. Uh, we have a 17-year-old boy and a 12-year-old boy who've seen their father go through this for the third time now. And it's hard on them, but they see God working through us individually and as a family. Our kids, our biggest dream is our children at this stage of our life. Worship is easy when good things happen. It's easy to say, great be the Lord who provided. I'll relate a very short story because it's hard for me to do when I'm young. When Lori and I got married, we didn't have a lot both coming out of other marriages. There was a lot of debt. And all of a sudden, the company I worked for decided we were going to go into a major project. And I was asked to oversee that project. I was in the first day of doing this project. I was literally coming off a vacation. And I looked across and watched an electrician unwiring an electric motor. And I said to myself, the one thing I haven't looked at yet is all those heavy electrical motor breakers they're supposed to be disengaged a lot and so I walked into the building where the switches were and fortunately they were all disengaged but not a single one was locked and I knew I had part of our plant still running 
And so there were operators in and out, opening and closing the switches. And I, and I thought to myself, oh, Lord, if somebody flipped this switch, there's 400 volts going into that electric motor, and it's going to kill it. every bit of it. I said, no more electrical work until I get this control. And I realized at that moment I had inherited a project that was seven days old that was a massive mess. For four days, every morning, I drove 40 miles to work and all I could do was pray, God, please don't let that bad. God's good. We finished the work successfully, on time, inside our budget. And on the last day, I turned onto the highway and we had had a pretty good six or eight weeks and it really gave Lori and I some breathing room and I turned on to the highway and the transmission fell out of my truck I don't know if she'll remember this I laughed time when I could afford a transmission at least God had put the money in the bank and it was there. It was certainly a whole lot more fun to say thank you God, thank you God, thank you God rather than saying please God, please God, please God. And in both instances God delivered.
was who was finishing her college years. She wanted to go on mission trips every year. VR, Morocco. And one year she calls up and she says, uh, Dad, this year I want to go to Moldova. And I, I said what probably any American father would say, Moldova? Where's Moldova? And, and she says, well, it, it's this little landlocked country which used to be part of the Soviet Union. It's right next to Ukraine and Romania. That's where I want to go. My friends are all going. And now my, my bride's uh, mother was in Kiev when, uh, you know, Hitler invaded. And so he, she became a guest of the Third Reich for the rest of the remainder of the war. And that's, that's her heritage, my grandfather came from Odessa, and so I said, well, you know, why don't you ask this group if I can go? I, I wasn't going to go through any of their trainers, but I should. And, and then I said, and, and ask them if we can't go out a week early, and uh, we'll spend some time in Ukraine. We'll just take a train into Moldova. Now, there was many adventures here, but uh, the day that I was about to leave, I, I, I said, uh, actually decided to talk to God about this. And, and I said, uh, you know, I really just saw this as an opportunity to spend a, a couple weeks with my daughter before she inevitably met the guy and got married. And, then I never, this was my, and so I, I, I said, Lord, I really haven't included you in, in this uh, this idea, and I just kind of like you to weigh in. Just, just kind of let me know what you're thinking. And so this was the day we were leaving, and we, at that time we lived in Indianapolis, and I was flying U.S. Air to Charlotte, and then to um, JFK, and from JFK we were going to board an Aeroflot flight and fly to Moscow and then Kiev. And I said, this is, this is our adventure. Never done anything crazy like this before. But uh, so I'm, I'm standing there at the check-in counter in Indianapolis, and um, the woman says to me, to the man next to me, she says, Kirill uh, Medvedev, uh, your uh, flight is now booked to Charlotte and then on to Moldova. Well, you know, you just don't hear that every day. And, and so afterward, after I checked in, I... I I hunted this guy down because we were on the same flight to Charlotte. And uh, so he he uh, shared a few things with him. He said, well, one thing, uh, he said the, the communists in the Soviet Union felt that the reason why the people had the courage to stand up was that they hadn't completely crushed the church and that it was their faith in the Lord that gave them the courage to stand up against the government of the Soviet Union. That was one thing he said. And then another thing he said was 700 Americans visit Moldova in any given year. Okay, so that's, that would be two a day. We would be, the two of us would be a daily quota. And we were on the same flight, flying fly to Moldova different ways. And we, uh, we got there uh, 
different times. So I just thought this was such a remarkable, long odds thing to happen. That I was God kind of winking at me and saying, uh, yeah, this is, this is right. I want you to go on this trip. And so after that, I get to Charlotte, and my flight from Charlotte to New York had been hit by birds, and we were delayed five hours and missed the flight to Moscow with my daughter. She got on the flight, and I'm in, I'm in New York, and I'm thinking, what do I do now? What do I do now? And, and how much would you pay? I asked, how much would you pay if you're... 20-something daughter who is just flown to Russia and she doesn't know the language at all and she's going to be there by herself. How much would you pay to get, to get there as soon as possible? Right? It's a big number. So I prayed about this and I went to Priceline and I got a ticket for the next morning. I was going to be 16 hours behind her but it was for $400. <laughs> The Lord bless. And uh, to shorten up this story, I'll just say that when I when I got there, she told me about how she went to the taxi cab and she said, uh, Dnipro Hotel, which in Ukrainian would be said, Dnipro Hotel. <laughs> and and she she was just there waiting for me. She'd had this this marvelous adventure for about 16 hours. I thought and that was just the beginning of a long, wonderful uh, time going to Mother. I've been back four more times. And uh, the Lord really blessed and, and he just showed me how he's alive and he cares even about little things. Little, little things. But it was a wonderful time. posture, he had the right place, the right position, and the right purpose. And I think a lot of what made Daniel who he was and a lot of what can make us who we are is how we approach God in worship every day individually so that when we do come together, that we are an encouragement to one another inside the church and outside of the church. And I'll just be frank with you for a moment, church. If we're unable to worship God in fullness and in truth, in a closed environment with other, other believers, then the challenge to do so outside of these walls is even more difficult. And there is a lost and dying world who needs us to practice like we're ready to go out and play. And when we play, we play to win. And so I want to thank those of you who came and shared. There'll be other opportunities as we kind of move through this series during the summer because I intend to push you to worship God for who he is and what he has done for you. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. You've probably seen this. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I think we need to think about the goodness of God and who he is and what he's done for us and put those things into practice so that when we are able 
to speak of the good things of the Lord. We're not just of knowledge, but we're also of ability that we're practicing. Let's pray together. Father, we worship you because you are good and you are holy and you are magnificent. And Father, we praise you not just for how you have given us this or gotten us out of that, but Father, we praise you because you are good and you are righteous and you are worthy to be praised. Father, teach us to worship you more, to know more of you, to to spend that time, Lord, on our knees, facing you, making you the object of our worship not the object of our request. So God, we pray that we'll respond to you properly, no matter the circumstance or the answer that you give, but instead, Lord, we'll respond to you just because of who you are. God, today, some things were shared that that are heavy, that are challenging, that are frightening, that are absolute opportunities, Lord, for you to be glorified. And so, God, we pray, specifically we pray for Noel for healing. God, we ask that you would just heal his body. Would you just take this leukemia from him? Would you do that either through miracle or through medicine or a combination of both? But, God, we are asking that in faith this morning that you would do so. Lord, I have this overwhelming sense that no matter the outcome of that, that you will be glorified in his heart. And so, God, give him strength to endure. Give his family courage them rest father give them love each and every day as they walk through this journey together father we thank you for how you love us and how you provide for us and you did so with your son jesus and we ask these things in his holy name amen we are going to observe the lord's supper this morning so if you have